Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. The big news of the day? I didn't think it was that big a news. I think we already knew it. It's kind of expected at this point. I mean, I guess you make an official announcement, but let's see a show of hands. Did anybody think they were playing minor league baseball? I mean, it really didn't make any sense. It's uh, that that level of sport is really... Uh, dependent on gate revenues. It's how many tickets do you sell? How much do you sell them for? What's the money at the gate? And then on top of that, you know, do they buy a cap or a t-shirt or a jersey or food? And But you're not going to get concessions and you're not going to get the merchandising if you don't have people in the ballpark for the game. So it seemed to me like that was never going to happen. We weren't going to have Bees Baseball and we weren't going to have uh, the Orm Owls and the Ogden Raptors. Uh, it just seemed like that was done. But they made the official announcement and you know, when there's a much sports news, I guess people make a big deal out of everything. You know, going forward, I think the more we learn about the coronavirus, the more it seems like baseball. Well, first off, if there's a vaccine by next season, then, you know, that's a huge step forward. But even if there isn't, you know, we're I mean, we're learning more. You're, you're safer outdoors than you are in. Uh, it doesn't seem like this is a lot really about in contact with surfaces. This is about, you know, breathing close to somebody or breathing on somebody and that, you know, coughing on somebody somebody laughing singing whatever uh you know baseball lends itself to separation maybe not quite as much uh social distancing as golf but probably second to it um and i'm really not that concerned about you know sharing a baseball and and that doesn't seem like a big deal it seems to me like the the downtime in the clubhouse you got to change that routine uh because baseball players will spend hours in a clubhouse before a game two three four hours uh i mean some of that pregame you know you're out on the field and all that but there's a lot of downtime in the clubhouse that seems to me the that and i guess long bus trips would be the most most dangerous part of it the things they got to figure out for next year um and along those lines i was reading some stuff from the uh from the end NBA, Mark Cuban was quoted. <laughs> of course he was, right? Uh, and so was the commissioner. And they were talking about um, you know, what might make them stop the season. And, and Cuban was pretty confident that that wouldn't happen. The commissioner left the door open. Uh, but they both said, and, and I think this is true, it, it sounds a little self-serving on the surface, but I think when you look at it, it's true, that they think the players are going to be safer on the campus than they will be out in the community. As we see in some of these communities, numbers spike. And, of course, it depends on what community you're in because, you know, in every – well, we see it even here in Utah. um, You know, in every city and county, it's a little different, right? The numbers are different. Uh, Right from the get-go, when Salt Lake and Summit County got hit hard, well, there's more tourists and ski season and all that kind of stuff and in and out of the airport. So, of course, those counties are going to get hit harder. You know, that's going to be a different deal than – King County or Daggett County or something. And I think we see that nationally, too. But I think with all the testing they're going to have and knowing immediately before someone can be the super spreader and have, you know, a week or two weeks to walk around asymptomatic spreading it, um, a chance to identify people and get them isolated. You know, when we see these teams, uh, we've seen college teams, right? But with Texas, well, it's because they went to a party. You know, and they were all indoors and they're laughing and talking and whatever. And uh, of course, you know, it, they're not getting it in the team room. They're not getting it uh, lifting weights or watching film. Uh, the LSU guys who got it, they started, well, that's because they went to a club. And the Orlando women's soccer team got it. Well, they all went out to dinner and drinks. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff. And it seems to me in the bubble, they'll really be focused on limiting that stuff. And so I would think 
I would think we're going to see that it'll be safer. We're seeing some positive tests or a couple more announced yesterday. Baseball said that they're not going to identify specific players. There's the whole thing with HIPAA and, and privacy and all that. But I think once once the games start playing, if somebody's out for no particular reason, we're going to assume what it is, whether we're right or not. I think we'll be right 90, 95% of the time. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, you can try and keep it quiet. But I think what the commissioner said and what Cuban said about it's going to be safer there, that makes sense to me. You know, the numbers in Arizona are way up, but uh, for the athletes, one in 83 tests, the athletes on campus, you know, they got it. I think the University of Arizona it seemed like they had a pretty good handle on it. Um, and when you're organized and you're diligent and you're thinking about it, I think you can really minimize the risks. It's when you just throw caution to the wind. You know, let's go to this bar, this restaurant, this club. Let's be indoors without masks around people for a long period of time. Well, it seems like, you know, you're taking the three things to put you most at risk and you're combining them all at the same time. Well, that, that seems to be where the problems are. So let's use some, use some common sense here. So, all right, uh, the other uh, sports news, uh, you know, <laughs> the games go on. Well, no, they don't. But the drafts go on. The free agents goes on, right? We had the NFL draft, and Tom Brady moved, and Tom Brady moved, and now it's baseball's turn. And the number one overall pick in the draft went to the Detroit Tigers, and they have signed Spencer Torkelson. And he has a signing bonus of $8.4 million. $8.4 million. So they're not completely out of money, no matter what else they say, no matter what's going on. And if you're looking at why baseball, the owners and the union can't get along, it's this kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> $8.4 million. Holy cow. You know, there are guys who are actually in the majors looking, going, are we sure he's going to be better than me? I mean, he's a number one pick. He might be. But we've seen number one picks bust. If for no other reason than health. You can pay him $8.4 million for a signing bonus. He hasn't done anything yet. I guess you got to put him on your sixty-man uh, roster and get him some experience and get him going. You can't send him to the minors, right? We just discussed that. It's not like there's double A ball to send him to, or I guess you can send him to rookie league or class A. But as a number one pick, a lot of times they'll they'll go somewhere higher. Occasionally they go straight to the majors, not often. But um, we'll see if Detroit can cash in on it. They've been terrible, and that's the second time in three years they've had the the number one pick. And they're getting a college guy, so maybe he's a little more ready. Um, Torkelson was just crushing homers at Arizona State. 54 of them. Holy cow, that's a ton. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Stay with us. Uh, we're talking a little NBA basketball. we got a reporter from Bleacher Report coming up and get his take on the many storylines that are in front of us. We're now with less than a month to go until the restart. Scheduled for July 30th. Uh, that'd be a month from yesterday. And we'll get to that conversation next. Stay with us. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we are joined now by Sean Hyken, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Sean, good morning. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. So we are curious now as we get into the uh, final month here, gearing up for the restart of the NBA. 
We have Joe Ingles on the show once a week. And uh, we mentioned him and some people, you know, with Bogdanovich out, didn't have high hopes for the Jazz. And he's like, who are those people? And then Quinn Snyder basically kind of echoed that sentiment in a Zoom press conference he did. So we're curious, as someone who uh, maybe can be a detached, neutral observer, if that's possible, but we'll assume it is. What do you think of the Jazz chances as you watch the NBA get ready to restart? I think the loss of Bojan Bogdanovic is pretty huge to them. I mean, maybe if they get the right matchup, they can win a first-round series. But without Bojan, I just, I, I just, I don't see them really doing much beyond that, unfortunately. How about if Mike Conley reverts to the Mike Conley of Memphis? I got to think that that increases their chances. Now, to what level remains to be seen, but I think that's something that maybe they can look to as something they haven't had so far, and maybe get a little bit more out of him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you probably couldn't have gotten a worse first season in Utah out of him, it's just based on expectations and based on what you've done before in uh, Memphis and what you could have hoped you would have done going in. But, I mean, it, it's just, it's so, we have no idea what anybody is going to look like. I mean, I think the, the one saving grace for the Jazz is that this is just such a weird set of circumstances that everything is so up in the air. You can't really just look at this normally and say, okay, this guy was playing this well or this badly during the season, and then it's going to translate over after all these guys have not played at all for four months during a pandemic. Like, this, it's just such an unprecedented set of circumstances that, it's kind of hard to project anything. Now, speaking of Joe Ingles, has he officially said, because I know he has talked in the past about how he wouldn't want to play if they were starting the season. Has he officially said anything about that? I think he's going to play. Um, okay. I think he's got his reservations, and you know, it's a difficult situation with his wife pregnant and all that, but I think he's going to be in Orlando. When there, was the, when there were all the phone calls going on, he was very definitive he was not on any of those group calls. So. Okay. I just remember. I just remember he was one of the first guys to come out and say that he wouldn't want to play if they were going to restart before they actually decided anything. So I was wondering if what the situation was with that. That's good to know. How about a skinnier Jokic in Denver? How do you think that's going to change things, if any? Well, I mean, I think the first thing we need to worry about with Jokic is whether he is able to recover from COVID nineteen. Considering he's one of the guys that tests positive, so assuming he recovers fully, which obviously we all hope is the case, and he doesn't have any lasting uh, side effects from it, and he's able to get over from Serbia back to Denver and then to Orlando. Uh, it is going to be interesting. I, I, my greater issues, I guess, with Denver. I mean, it's just it's kind of it's the same group that just kind of fell short of the playoffs last year. I, it maybe one more year experience is going to help him with with in this, but I, I think they're sort of. Uh, they're one of the teams. I still, I think they, I think they could make a run, but I, I still think they might be a year away. So when you say the Jazz could win a first round series, depending on the matchup, is it? Are you making the point that hey, we don't know what teams are going to be really sharp when they come back, or are there a couple teams out of the, or maybe one out of the Rockets, the Thunder, and the Nuggets, the Jazz match up much better or much worse against? I think it's more the former that we just have no clue. The Rockets are a team that I think are actually more dangerous coming out of this layoff just because James Harden is a guy that, oh, normally speaking, he is, uh, you know, he puts up these incredible numbers in the regular season and then he starts 
Kucherov burns out in the playoffs because when he's during the during a regular season, he's the guy who's like leads the league in minutes or, or is among the league leaders in minutes and just goes so hard in the regular season that he's just kind of burned out by the playoffs and he starts to wear down. Now you come come in with him being four months fresh of, of having not played all those games and having all those miles on him. That's going to be you know I think I think that's I think the Rockets are a team that could be dangerous because of that. So literally, home court advantage will not exist, obviously, with the situation in Orlando. So it boils down to matchups would take up much more precedent than anything as far as getting the home court. With that in mind, how do you think teams generally are going to take these eight games leading up to this postseason? It depends on what their situation is. I would imagine that a team like the Bucks or the Raptors or some of these teams where they're going to get their seed locked in probably pretty quickly. Like I, I don't, I can't imagine the Bucks have much reason to play Giannis or Middleton a lot of minutes during these seeding games. And it's probably the same thing with the Lakers with LeBron, especially with his age. And he had been so great this season that he, he kind of had this bounce back season as. You know, they, I, I, you know, I feel like if they can lock up the uh, number, the uh, the number one seed pretty early, they might just take it easy the rest of the way. But then, whereas at the bottom end of the spectrum, you're going to have some teams like Portland, New Orleans, Memphis, that whole group in the West, and then Brooklyn, Orlando, Washington in the East. Those teams, if those teams are still in it, they're going to be a lot more, you know, playing their guys and not taking it easy because they can't afford to. How much does the loss of Avery Bradley hurt the Lakers? It, it hurts them. I think we're going to find out a lot about Alex Caruso because I think he's going to probably step into that role. And, you know, Avery Bradley, the, the main thing he brought to them was the defense, especially his on-ball defense. And, you know, he's, he, he had been the guy that the Lakers would put on every team's best guard. And he had been doing great in that role. We will see if Alex Caruso can kind of step in and take some of that for him. I, I, I still think the Lakers are among the favorites in the West. I, I, don't, I don't feel definitively enough about them to put them above, you know, the Clippers, the Rockets, uh, any, you know, the, uh, any, any of those teams. But I think that uh, they could, you know, it, it's, it's going to hurt them, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, devastating. Portland could get back some guys that they haven't had all season with this long layoff and the extended version of it. Do you think that, that can help them? Help who? Portland. It could. Uh, I mean, considering the, uh, you know what their situation was up front uh, the whole year, basically their only real center was Hassan Whiteside, and their only you know then you know they lost uh, Zach Collins three games into the season, and then. Uh, Basically, things got so bad really quickly that they just immediately they had to you know pull Carmelo Anthony off the scrap heap, and he's been great for them. But you know him being the only guy that they had really at that position, and then but I th- I think the loss of Trevor Reza, who obviously decided to sit out because of the family situation, I think that's that's something that I, I I'm still not sure how they're going to be able to make up for that. I mean, this is where not having Rodney Hood because of the torn Achilles really hurts them. But, I mean, I think Nurkic and Collins is definitely going to help. I wouldn't pick them. Let's say, I mean, let's say they do get in, you know, sneak into the playoffs at Memphis, which I could see happening. But I would not pick them to beat the Lakers in the first round as an eight seed. But I think they could make it a little bit competitive, maybe have it go six or something. 
Sean Eichen joining us, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report, uh, talking about the restart of the NBA. You know, I'm of the opinion if the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Bucks win this, it'll be it'll be viewed as an odd championship, but it won't really be held against the players in the way it will be if anybody else wins. And I think even the Rockets, I think it'll be viewed as a as a tremendous fluke and and kind of dismissed. Do you believe that? I think you have to, no matter who wins it, you're not going to just be able to talk about this as a normal championship just because the, the circumstances are so unprecedented. With that said, I don't think it makes it less legitimate. It just makes it different. Like, if anything, I almost feel like this is more impressive if these teams are able to come back from this layoff in the middle of a global pandemic and is ever able to just sort of get through all of this and be the last one standing. I think that is a feather in a deep cap. I would say it's definitely different. I wouldn't say it makes it less legitimate. So they're moving the draft back, what, until October, and obviously it already would have taken place. Do you see any advantages or disadvantages in that as far as evaluating players and making their selections when it comes to it? Well, the problem is there's just not any new stuff to evaluate guys on. This is such a weird draft, and I think a lot of teams are guessing just because they shut down the college season in March, and there's nothing new to go off of. Every All of the film that there is to watch on these guys has already been done, and they haven't been able to have guys to facilities and, and you know interview them in person. It's just been all Zoom stuff, so... Teams, I think teams across the board are going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage, and they're going to be, there's just going to be a lot of guesswork involved uh, for the draft. So, I, I mean, it's this, there could be, just be a lot of weird stuff happening this this this, uh, this time around. So, I, I it's it's a pretty hard one to get a handle on. So, what do you think, is, or have you heard, is happening to the salary cap, and what does this mean for free agency? This wasn't supposed to be much of an offseason. The next one was supposed to be huge, but you got to figure the financial ramifications of this going forward are going to be felt next summer when, I don't want to say the whole league has turned loose, but basically the whole league has turned loose. Well, I think the thing that's really going to be the bigger indicator of that. Obviously, they're going to lose. They're losing a clear this year. So let's say the best case scenario, they are able to get through this season without having to shut it down again. That's going to help. Things are going to go down. I think the thing that's going to be the more telling thing is what happens with the 2020-21 season. As of right now, it's supposed to uh, start around December 1st, maybe a little bit later into December. But given the pandemic and just given everything is so uncertain because of that, like that's going to be the greater indicator. If let's say things do settle down and they are able to, they have a vaccine by the end of the year, things sort of stabilize and they are able to start the next season in December and everything is sort of able to continue uh, like normal after that. They, you know, they might be able to bounce back financially, at least for the most part, but if they have to delay next season, indefinitely because of the pandemic, then then they might be in trouble again. Do you think that at any point the, the social justice stuff that's going on and the unrest would overshadow the actual games? I mean, that's kind of the point. The players, some of the players had the... Uh, reservations about it because they didn't you know because they didn't want the games to overshadow the movement so i think they're going to do everything they can i mean you've already seen a couple of things they're going to be putting black lives matter uh on the court players are going to be able to have slogans on their 
jerseys. I think that stuff is kind of service level. That's not really the kind of change that they're fighting for, but it's certainly going to keep it in the conversation. Yeah, but don't the games produce enough drama, even in a situation without fans, and we're going to care who's winning and losing, that in those moments it's going to be about the basketball. It may not be on the off day in between, but in the fourth quarter it's going to be about the basketball. Yeah, probably. I just I have I have no idea how any of this stuff is going to work any more than anybody else does, but it's going to be really interesting to find out. You know, we saw LeBron didn't have the postseason last year, and he's getting up there, and I'm wondering how much that actually benefited him because he's just had a marvelous season, and particularly when you consider his age. What's he, 35, 36? Even if he was 10 years younger, it still would be marvelous. So in my mind, now that he's had some more time off, I can argue that he's going to be obviously rested. So I'm expecting him to just be a ball of fire and just, I don't want to say roll through it, but really be at the top of his game. I think he's going to be highly motivated to do that, and I definitely agree with you that have, having the early end of his season last year uh, helped things this year, because remember, it's not even just last season, but the year, like, he had been to the finals eight years in a row before last year, and he had uh, had a couple of Olympic runs in there, too, so he had just basically had zero time off for the last eight years. So, having this extended layoff last summer Definitely. I mean, you, you saw kind of what it did, did to him this year where he was one of the candidates for MVP. I think if anybody it, – it, it, it's hard to tell how anybody is going to react to this long layoff because you don't know which guys have gyms in their home, which ones don't. LeBron, it's pretty clear that no matter where LeBron is, he I – mean, there's been a – Maverick Carter said it at a conference a couple of years ago that LeBron spent $1.5 million a year on his body just in terms of – different massage therapies and just different other treatments that he gets in order to keep his body in shape. I can't imagine that really changed because of the pandemic. So LeBron's going to be, you're going to, there's going to be different guys who maybe come in out of shape or come in rusty. I don't think that's going to be the case with LeBron. Will Kawhi Leonard still do load management in Orlando? I mean, they're, they're only going to have one back to back and I would guess he probably doesn't play on the back to back, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know where he's at physically either. It's not a load management thing. It, it, he actually does have knee issues where the team doctors say, "Hey, you can't uh, do this. Uh, you, know, you can't. You can't play on back to back. You have to kind of watch your minutes." I do think that because there's been this long layoff, guys. We have seen guys have said they're worried about soft tissue injuries. They might take it a little bit easy in the regular season, especially because the Clippers are one of the teams. They're not really in danger of falling out of one of those high playoff seeds in the West. So we might see him take it a little bit easy in the regular season. But once they get to playoffs, I think it's probably going to be fully, you know, everything's going to kind of be as normal. But, I, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think they've said anything about that yet. He's Sean Hyken, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. Sean, that was rapid fire, man. We covered a lot of ground there. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's Sean Hyken, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. And we hit most of the big things uh, in the NBA there, most of the big storylines. Uh, I was surprised you didn't have more of a reaction to Avery, Avery Bradley there. Uh, you know, glue guys matter in the playoffs. Their stats aren't huge, and the, the stars are going to get it done in the final minutes of a close game. But when a guy defends and he handles the ball and allows LeBron to go stand in the corner and rest for a minute when you're trying to play LeBron 45, 46 minutes in a 48-minute game because you're so lousy when he sits down, uh, and I think a guy like that matters. Uh, not that it can't be overcome, but it, it still matters a lot. 
All right, Sean Hyken, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. All right, uh, and I do think he's spot on about uh, you know losing Bogdanovich. I just think that's a big deal. And, and maybe, I don't know what number I put it at, 20, 25%, maybe Conley just gets back to 20 points a game. Conley doesn't have to defer to one more shooter, and he can absorb all of that, and he can be Mike Conley and be Bogdanovich, but that still seems like a big ask. But we'll know soon enough. It's now less than a month ago. A month from yesterday was the start of the NBA season, the resumption of the NBA season. The start, well, the start of the Florida phase. How about that? All right, when we come back, Josh Newman from the University of Utah, beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. The Utes, what's going on with uh, the Morgan Scally investigation? Where does that go? And also, with Caleb Lohner not playing at the U, leaving before he ever takes a class, does a practice, plays a game, uh, where does that leave the Utes going into this season? Where does it leave the team? And then bigger picture, what does this mean for Larry Kristoviak? We'll talk with Josh Newman next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, and we're joined now by Josh Newman, beat writer covering the University of Utah for the Salt Lake Tribune. Josh, good morning. Good morning, boys. How are you? We're doing well. I'm curious. Anything in your record in your reporting background prepare you for the last three months? Uh, <laughs> look, I've I've been around the block once or twice. Uh, I've been doing this long enough where nothing really uh, surprises me too much anymore. But I will say, uh, the month of June, for various reasons that I'm sure we're about to get into, uh, it's been a little heavy. I'll say that. Yeah, you got to enjoy Friday afternoons. Yeah, for, for now, Friday afternoons just got to make you nervous as far as uh, what what they're going to dump on us. I mean, a, a couple of stories there with the transfer and the Morgan Scally obviously was a bombshell. Let's start with Scally. In my mind, you know, and DJ's too, take your time and come up with the right conclusion. So I'm expecting that it should extend for a few more weeks at least until the start of the season. Yeah, no, this is something that, uh, look, you have to handle it carefully uh, for any number of reasons. One, it's a, it's a sensitive topic in general. It's an important topic. It's, it's a sensitive topic. So from that standpoint, you don't rush anything. Uh, number two, Scali is a, he's a native son, right? He's a favorite son. Uh, he's been at the University of Utah as a player or as a coach uh, for almost 20 years. You know, played for Urban Meyer. Um, he's the you know he's the D coordinator now. He's the presumed successor to Kyle Whittingham. So you, for a number of reasons, you just can't rush this thing. You need to do it properly. You need to do it prudently. And if that means it has to take a little longer than people would like, so be it. So we've had uh, several ex players on who've been uh, critical of Morgan, but they also uh, unanimously have not wanted to see him lose his job. Uh, you've talked to a lot of players, I am sure. Have you gotten the same feedback? Yeah, I, I, don't, think, I don't think people want to see him fired. I also don't think that people think that he did anything with intent 
or in a in a um, a malicious manner. Now, with that said, if you're Utah, I just don't feel like you know you don't just let this slide. You can't just come out whenever they you know finish their investigation. You you can't just do nothing. Okay, I I don't think necessarily that he should be fired, but there needs to be some sort of reprimand, if for nothing else, just the optics of it. Just with what we're dealing with now in terms of uh, you know racial unrest in this country, you can't just do nothing. They should do something, but I, I don't think you're going to see something that is you know super severe. Yeah, I've spoken to some coaches on this issue, and one coach told me this is the exact worst time for this to come out for the obvious reasons. Another African-American coach told me that he viewed it as, well, is this a pattern or was this a one-off? You know, And in his mind, that would make a difference. And if we focus on the word, and we know the word that was used, I'm wondering if there would be more fallout beyond Morgan Scowley because to assume that Morgan Scowley was the only one who ever said that word or used that word in a text or whatever is somewhat naive. And so if you go down the road of some type of sanction for him, where would it end? Uh, Yeah, that's a tough question. I do think that is uh, part of the big elephant in the room, right? Uh, What kind of sanction? How far would you take it? Um, look, he's, again, he's the presumed head coach in waiting. Even if he wasn't, he is still viewed as a head coach someday. Um, does this harm his, you know, his future prospects as a head coach, whether it be at the University of Utah or elsewhere? Uh, you know, that is a fair question. That is something I've wondered. That is something I've asked about. You know, if you're going to reprimand him in some fashion, where does it end? Um, this is a, this is a big test. This is going to put Mark Harlan to the test, right? Uh, Mark Harlan, Utah's AD, comes in two years ago, um, hasn't had to make a head coaching hire in either of his major sports yet, football, basketball. This is going to be a test of, of Harlan's leadership to ultimately see uh, where this winds up, no matter how it winds up. So I'm curious where you think the buck will stop because some people, you know, <laughs> the titles are the same everywhere, but the power structure isn't. The, the power isn't dispersed the same way everywhere. So whether it's the head coach, Kyle Whittingham, or Mark Harlan, the AD, or Ruth Watkins, the president, who's going to have the biggest say in this decision? Good question. Um, and again, I, I, I think we're going to find that out. I don't think, in a general sense, I don't think we really know where that power fully lies. And I think part of this is, you know, Big picture, longer term, I, I, I think we're going to find that out. Um, look, when all this went down a few weeks ago, Harlan did the right thing, right? It, it, the whole thing came to his attention. He, he called Ruth Watkins. University leadership got involved, and they all decided that there was going to be an outside in investigation. Um, and I, I do believe that whatever, whatever happens here, whether it be reprimands, a termination, whatever winds up happening, I do think it's going to be a collective effort, and you know, no, no one person in charge is going to uh, is going to ultimately make this decision. It's just too important. Okay, there's going to be a lot of voices offering their opinion and um, and and ultimately putting their foot down. How about the player involved in this? He came to Utah, was there for four years. I looked on Facebook; the family's adorned in Utah gear and all that stuff. So. 
they, to an extent, and I can't speak for them, but at least it appears on the surface that they got past it. You think that could help? I think that should factor into it maybe a little bit. But, again, we are living in a time now of, of civil unrest uh, and racial unrest, and those things are those things are not easily uh, moved past, even if, look, Facebook is not real life, okay? People wearing, you know, the family wearing Utah gear on, on social media is fine. Um, there, there have been instances, as we're finding out now, across the country, places like the University of Iowa, um, you know, and, and, and other schools where similar stories are coming out. You're on scholarship, you're playing football, you're trying to work your way to the NFL, you're probably willing to, I don't want to say probably, you may be willing to move past some things in your own best interest at the time, but I don't think that putting those things to the side or getting past those things or getting over those things are easy. And look, with the with the killing of George Floyd and you know similar things that have gone on around the country, especially uh, especially recently, um, now is the time to to uh, to voice your opinion and to voice your concerns. And that's what this player and that's what that family um, has done. And they believe that it was in their best interest at the time. They think, they think that they were wronged by Morgan Scally, and they're right. They were wronged by Morgan Scally, and uh, Morgan Scally's actions um, are going to have consequences. All of our actions have consequences, but we, us three, we are not making eight hundred twenty thousand dollars a year in a high-profile position. So his actions are going to have consequences one way or the other. So the basketball issue, I mean, that, that kind of caught us by surprise a little bit that the kid wants to leave before being in the program. Uh, man, how big of a blow is that to Larry? Yeah, this has been, you know, it's been the $64,000 question. How, how big of a blow is it? And I've gone back and forth. On one hand, I, I, I find it hard to get too bent out of shape in general over a kid that never stepped on your campus that never played a minute for you. On the other hand, the kid verbal to Larry Kostowiak um, in August of last year. So Utah, Larry and the staff, everybody was operating under the assumption for 10 months that the kid was coming. To that end, they stopped recruiting for that spot under the assumption that Loner was coming. Kid calls Larry up, wants out of his letter, no matter what, you know, look, there's all kinds of hearsay, rumors, whatever. The bottom line is, in June, for a kid to ask out of his letter of intent, that's a tough blow because that's a, you know, that's a, that's a rotation piece. Loner was going to play right away for the youth. Um, that, that was two open scholarships in late June. That's, that's tough sledding if you're a coaching staff, to have a kid ask out. You're, you're, you're stuck with two open spots in late June. You're, you know, it's late in, in the recruiting cycle, you're trying to fill the space. So it's been a it's been a tough month for Utah once that loner thing kind of popped off uh, June you know June fourth or fifth. So the uh, the decision to uh, let him out of the scholarship did that surprise you at uh, at all? I mean, there's a lot of scuttlebutt about how involved Mark Harlan got in that. What do you think? What do you know? No, I mean I did my reporting, and anybody's free to. To read that, it went online. Yes, uh, it went online yesterday. Yeah, um, 
the whole thing with, you know, Mark Harlan had to override Larry and Larry didn't want to let him out is false, untrue. Um, there was a, there was a short period of time where, you know, I think Larry had to maybe calm down and come to grips with it, but him and Mark Harlan had a conversation and it was, you know, pretty easily agreed upon that they were going to let this kid out of his letter of intent. Uh, why did Utah let him out so easily? Because if you hold the kid hostage, if you hold him to his letter of intent, you look like the bully. You look like the antagonist. It looks poorly upon Utah. It looks poorly upon the athletic department. I understand the Utah-BYU thing, uh, you know, the arch rival. The kid wants to, you know, you know, the kid's parents are LDS. He's inactive LDS. The kid, you know, the kid's dad went to BYU. I understand all that. It doesn't matter. The only course of action, the only reasonable, rational course of action was to let the kid out of his letter of intent because if you don't, it's just a no-win situation because in the end, even if you hold the kid hostage, in the end, he doesn't want to play for you, period. So why hold on to him? There's just no point to that. Yeah, I can't argue, Josh, on anything that you said there. I mean, I think that's the final analysis, and you you walked us through that uh, conclusively. I, I can't, I just can't disagree with anything you say, even though I may not like it. It's the, it's just the truth, and it's the reality of the situation. And with that in mind, it seems like, at least to us, you know, I covered University of Utah basketball in the '90s under Majerus for the Tribune, and my gosh, that place was rocking every night. And I'm sure you know about the history now that you've been here for a little while, and the fan base is just demanding a winner and it seems like to an extent anyway dj actually thinks it more than i do that larry is in under the gun in hot water however you want to say it uh how important is this next season then yeah no um i've i'm kind of i think the majority of the fans that are really in, you know involved and really paying attention i think that faction of the fan base does believe and maybe fairly so that he's under the gun and he needs to win games, and he needs to get something done now. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but to that point, I will say that his buyout after this next season, after the 2020-21 season, it's still pretty prohibitive. Okay, his his buyout is a is a big figure, and I don't know if Harlan and the university and the donor base is in any position to buy him out even after next season. Um, does he need to win now? I mean, I don't know. It, it, it depends on what you deem as winning. Um, if they win, I don't know. I'm just hypothetically putting it out there. 18, 19 games, they get to the NIT. Then, you know, most of the core is back the following season as, as juniors and seniors. Would that appease people? 18 wins, getting to the NIT, looking good for the following season. You know, uh, it all depends on what you, uh, excuse me, on how you want to view it. Me, I think the buyout is pretty prohibitive. I, I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that with another poor season, um, I'm not convinced Utah would be in a position um, to get rid of him next season anyway. Uh, I'm actually with you on that. I think that in normal times, um, that he has to win this year. But these are not normal times. And if you're looking at something in the six million dollar range. You know, depending on how this football season goes, how revenue goes, do they fulfill the TV contract? Uh, there's just no way to know. But we've heard all kinds of stories about budget cuts all across the country. 
Um, I mean, who's got more money than Michigan, right? Michigan's got to be one of the top 10 lucrative programs in the country. <clears throat> and yet they've got all their coaches. You know, Harbaugh's taking a pay cut. It's football, it's basketball, it's the AD, it's all the high-profile people. So these are not normal times. I, I think in normal times, missing the tournament, and, and you can just open a media guide and go online in an online media guide and see this. In normal times, if you miss the tournament three years in a row at Utah, you're out. Oh, this is a – look, and it's, it's not just Utah, okay? Coaching, coaching at the Power Five level – is a bottom-line business. And if you are not getting it done, if you are not going to the NCAA tournament at least semi-regularly, you are out of a job. Um, And look, at the time that Chris Hill, the former AD at Utah, at the time when he gave Larry Kostowiak his current contract, the trajectory, and correct me if I'm wrong, the trajectory of Utah basketball was up, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. They'd been to back-to-back NCAA tournaments. They went to the Sweet 16, almost took out Duke in a regional semifinal. So the trajectory of the program was up. So that was a giant contract at the time. But you could justify it because of what they had done in the recent past, where you thought they were going. And, you know, now now they've fallen on hard times. You know, I understand they went to the NIT a few times. They went to the Garden for the NIT semis. Um, So uh, I don't... I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I do think the buyout is prohibitive. I've, I've done some reporting on that, too. The buyout is uh, at or approaching eight figures after next season. Oh, Big really? number. Um, and as, as you guys said, um, we are not in normal times. Um, budget cuts, uh, not at Utah, but just in general. Budget cuts, will a football season get played? Are you go- is, is Harlan's athletic department going to be working at a deficit. Uh, I will say there has been no indication of any sport cuts or coaching salary cuts or anything like that at Utah, so that's good news. But, yeah, these are not normal times, and um, oddly, kind of sadly, that probably works in Larry's favor that we are living in odd times, especially financially when it, when it comes to college athletics. So under your scenario, I have I would have no problem of uh, retaining him if they 18, 19 games, and you said NIT, even if we have it, assuming we do, and they don't have a slew of transfers bringing him back. You're closer to the program than I am as far as the infusion of the talent. You would know more about it than I do. I know the talent that's there because I saw it on display this past season. But with the talent that's coming back combined with the new talent coming in, how realistic is it to get to that scenario? You know, I've, I've, I've spent, I got two-thirds of the season with the basketball team, right? I showed up here in early December, dove right in, so I feel like I'm in some position to, to you know, really know what's happening and really try to project. I've been bullish on this roster for a while, okay? They don't have any, you know, really four- or five-star studs, as a couple of other teams in the Pac-12 do, but I like their pieces, okay? I think Ryland Jones plays very hard for Larry. I think Brandon Carlson has shown flashes of being a really, really good Pac-12 big man. Um, if Alfonso Plummer could play some more defense, I like that kid. We saw what he did in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, Timmy Allen is expected to return. I like their pieces. Um, I do think that they are still a season away from doing anything significant. That said, you look around the Pac-12, you look at who's coming back, there are some NBA draft decisions around the league that um, 
that we don't know yet, okay, those kids that have until August 3rd to make up their mind, all things being equal, looking around the league, I do believe that Utah could be in that 4, 5, 6 range. And if you're in that 4, 5, 6 range, even if you're closer to 6, that means you're probably still you know, looking at 17, 18-ish wins. Um, the non-conference schedule is, you know, let's call a spade a spade. The non-conference schedule is mostly soft, a lot of buy games at home. Um, if they take care of home in the non-conference, they go out to battle for Atlantis o- over Thanksgiving if that gets played in the middle of all this. If you can get two out of three in Atlantis, you take care of home, I think you're in position to go to the postseason. But, you know, hopefully, God willing, hopefully this, there is a basketball season. So you think the uh, the buyout is closer to the $8, 9000000 million range than it yeah, I don't have the story in front of me. I did this in like early February when people were starting to scream about about his job status. They were struggling on the road. The the buyout, as far as I saw in the contract and talking to people, the buyout is is near. I want to say it was nine point eight or ten point two. It's right around that eight figure range. It is a it is a big number for anybody, but it feels like an even bigger number given this athletic department. That was a big. That was with. That was the number with three years left, or that's a number with two years left on the contract. That that number is after after next season. Okay. After the twenty one season, the buyout is still in the nine or ten million dollar range. That's what I had it at. Yeah. The thing he has going that he had going for him when he got the contract, in addition to what you say with the Sweet Sixteen and then the second round appearance, was the fact that he built it up from literally ground zero. Everybody had left the program. He inherited nothing previous coach everybody went out the door and he had nothing to do with that so so the fact that he took it all the way from ground zero to there and the fact that he had played and coached in the nba and that it looked like there you know there were certainly rumors that there were going to be offers coming from the nba that's what drove the contract to the level it got to in retrospect it looks like way too much but at the time it looked aggressive but it didn't look as off the charts as it looks now Right. So. And look, right. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yep. You can look at that contract four or five years later and think it was look under any conditions. As you just said, that contract was aggressive. That right. was a lot of money that put him into the top ten or fifteen nationally among all coaches. That contract was aggressive, but you could have justified it at the time. Okay, for all the reasons that we said, might look silly now, but at the time it looked aggressive. And part of that was you. You you had a you had a program again whose trajectory was up, so you wanted to make every play you could to try to hold on to him. If another college program tried to poach him, if he went back to the NBA, again hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I wasn't around in in twenty fifteen, but I you know I've done my homework and I've talked to enough people. At the time, you could easily have justified that contract. Well, Josh, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I hope your Fridays going forward are, you know, not as difficult. Oh, anytime, guys. You know what? It's early in the summer. I, I do expect at least a couple more Fridays to be ruined, but let's hope not. <laughs> There's Josh Newman, University of Utah beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Certainly odd times, without question. Odd times. All right, when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.